Indeed, O oh God, we who have been bought with a price, we whose eyes have been opened to see our sin and to see our great need for a Savior, we sing hallelujah. What a Savior this is. What a salvation you have wrought in him. Salvation belongs to you, O oh God. We did not contribute. We did not earn. We did not merit. We did not participate. We did not add to. We have only laid hold, grabbed hold of that great finished work of Jesus Christ for his people. And as such, O oh God, have been swept into the family of God. And as sons and daughters of the living God, we cry out in praise and adoration to the Savior who has left his home in glory. The one who became poor so that we might become rich. And rich indeed we are, Father. Our sin is forgiven. Our lives have been changed. Our direction is renewed. We have a new set of priorities, a new set of values. And we now are people who are on our way to an eternity of felicity and bliss. But while we await that appointed time, O oh God, use us. See fit to use a congregation like us. See fit to use a sinner like me. Might we as individual, a collection of, of sinners saved by grace, renew our commitment to reach an unchurched world through maturing believers. Father, that is our dream, that is our hope, it is our longing, that those fields that are widened to harvest might be filled with people like us, seeking to point people in the direction of this beautiful Savior we've just sung about. Our Father, I pray that you will be with our nation. She is still reeling from the events of six months ago. We do continue to pray for our president and ask that wisdom would be his but wisdom that first originated in heaven. Father, for my brother or sister who's limped in here this morning carrying heavy loads, I pray that you'll give them some sense of relief by being with your people around your word and in a, a, a time dedicated to the worship of the living God. For those who are in broad places, O oh God, might you use us to come alongside those who are limping, and to buoy them up with the assurance that all things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. Father, accept our gifts now. We want to use them to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ and him only. We pray in his name. Amen. Grab your Bibles, if you will, and open them to the third chapter of the book of Acts. And let's continue our, uh, our look at that book. Acts chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. You follow as I read the first ten verses of Acts 3 at verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, to whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him, 
with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. You might have heard this story before, but there's a story that is associated with this text of Scripture that has become quite famous over the, actually, the centuries of the history of the church. It's a story about Thomas Aquinas, uh, the great theologian of the church, the the leading theologian of, of the 12th century. He was called Dr. Angelicus. And he had never visited Rome, and uh, on one occasion he uh, heads to Rome to visit, and the Pope himself wanted to give him a tour of uh, the uh, St. Peter's Cathedral and the uh, um, Vatican area. And this was, of course, before the Sistine Chapel and Michelangelo and all that business. But um, as they were walking around the, uh, the, the uh, cathedral grounds, the Pope turned to Thomas Aquinas and said, uh, you see, Thomas, no longer can the church say, gold and silver have I none. And uh, Thomas replied, and you also see, your holiness, that the church cannot say, rise up and walk. <laughs> it's, been, uh, it's been somewhat of a sad commentary on the church for, lo, these many centuries, And um, indeed, a story that is poignant even in the 21st century. The the first two chapters of the book of Acts tell us something about the organization of the church, how she got together, how she organized herself, uh, her origins, her beginnings, her her empowerment, etc. Well, in chapter 3, the the direction of the book of Acts somewhat changes because now we begin to see the the church militant, the church on the move, the church assaulting the culture in which she found herself. Uh, in this passage that I just read, you find uh, the, the record of the first miracle of the church. And I hope you understand that uh, miracles, within miracles, there's always a parable. Miracles are not just designed to demonstrate some kind of raw power on the, on the part of God. Uh, there's, there's lessons and there's truths being illustrated in, in every miracle. And our job this morning is to find out what lessons and what truths are contained in this one. Uh, this is not just a raw display of power. This is something that teaches us lessons about, um, well, actually lots of things. And uh, what we need to find out is what, what truths are contained, are, are designed for us to learn out of this um, healing of a lame man. I have five for you. I want to mention five lessons out of this parable that I hope will be uh, helpful and edifying to you. I first draw your attention to this statement that is found in verse 2, where the certain man, lame from his mother's womb. You see those words. 
This is a man in a condition, not that, uh, one that was brought on not by an accident. This is congenital. This is something that he was born with. He was crippled <coughs> from birth. Here is a man that came into this world um, helpless and in need of healing. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is truth number one. That's the way you and I also came into this, uh, this existence, helpless and in need of healing. Gang, you and I are not born innocent. The Bible teaches no such thing. In fact, uh, David says in Psalm 51, he says that in sin my mother conceived me. My sin began at conception, ladies and gentlemen, was woven into me as a, as a result of being a part of the Adamic race. G.K. Chesterton said that is one truth that is empirically verified over 3,500 years of human history. That all of us, all of us are born into this world helpless and in need of healing. I don't think there's a parent in this room, that is, any of you who are parents, I don't think there's a parent in this room who would deny that or, dis- or try to dispute such a truth. Why is it that when a child first displays his own will, almost without exception, it's a display of disobedience? Well, ladies and gentlemen, because we are all born helpless in need of healing, we as parents don't have to teach our children. We don't have to teach them how to be self-centered and, and uh, uh, how to lie and how to steal. They, they, they were born experts. Have you ever sat down with your six-month-old and said, Now, son, I know you've got a dirty diaper, and, um, and I'll get right to that. But I'm a little tired right now, and, and um, I'm awfully busy. And, and I'll get to you as soon as I can get to you. But, you know, if you'll just try to understand for the moment. And your little six-month-old kind of shrugs back and says, Oh, I understand your situation, Mom. Of course not. Because you didn't have to teach them to be me-centered. I read something to the uh, Wednesday night crowd um, where we're studying the book of Romans that I found almost comical. It's comical because it's written not by a church. It's not written by a, a, a spiritual organization. It is a conclusion drawn by, of none other, the Minnesota Crime Commission. Apparently, in the state of Minnesota, that is governed, as you know, by a previous <laughs> a wrestler. Um, and the, the Minnesota appointed this commission to study crime, and this is the conclusions to which they came. Now, did you get that? This is not from... Uh, the local Baptist church. This is from the Minnesota Crime Commission. And this is what they say in conclusion. Every baby starts life as a little savage. He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toy, his uncle's watch. Deny him these wants and he sees with rage and aggressiveness. Which would be murderous were he not so helpless. He is dirty He has no morals, no knowledge, no skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, are born delinquent. If permitted to continue in the self-centered world of his infancy, given free reign to his impulsive actions to satisfy his wants, every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, a killer, 
or a rapist. <laughs> That's the Minnesota Crime Commission, ladies and gentlemen, that analyzed things in that way. Well, here you have in this miracle a, a, a lame man from his mother's womb. A picture of the state of all of humanity, ladies and gentlemen, born lame in need of healing. And I don't know about what your opinion might be, but it seems to me that in the last 40 years, the need for healing has become more and more apparent. Don't you think? I want to read you something that's fairly long, but um, it's worth listening to. It's really, it's really poignant, I think. Um, this is another one of those famous emails that was sent me, and, and you may have gotten this one too. But um, it's just describing the advance of the need in the last 40 or 50 years. This person says, I grew up in rural America in the 50s and the 60s. On any given day, you could walk through the high school parking lot and observe that half the vehicles parked there were trucks with windows rolled down and doors unlocked. Most of them carried, as standard equipment, an FFA, Future Farmers of America, sticker, and a gun rack with at least one gun, usually loaded. You could make the same observation at any of the four high school campuses in our county. Amazingly, I do not ever recall reading or hearing about mass shootings in any of those high schools. What has changed in America is not the accessibility of guns, but the character of man. On the wall in my parents' home is a plaque awarded to my father in recognition of service for 27 years on the local school board. He told me that for years a standard requirement on every teacher's contract was membership in a local church. I remember starting every school day with a pledge and a prayer. I remember when girls who got pregnant in high school were ashamed, when abortions were illegal. When the divorce rate was not 50% because couples stayed together for the kids' sake and tried to work out differences. When there was no X-rated movies. When milk cartons didn't have missing kids' faces on them. And when I didn't know anyone personally who used drugs. I remember when kids were taught respect for authority and accountability to God. I hear people say that the good old days weren't always so good. But please don't tell me you think these are better. Last night, I attended a high school football game that was covered by local and national news. The news coverage was not about the football teams, but about the defiance of a court order by one brave little Texas town to preserve the right to pray before a football game. The more this country struggles to free itself from religion, the more we become entangled in the consequences. If people are taught that they came from slime, the obvious questions and consequences must follow. What is the purpose of my existence? A hopelessness. Who made you the boss of my, uh, the boss of me? A lawlessness. Why are your rules good and mine bad? Relativism. What does it matter how I live if I came from slime and returned to slime? Immorality and inhumanity. I realize that in any given poll, the vast majority of Americans claim to believe in God. I claim to believe that running is good for me. But that does not make me a runner. Putting on my running shoes and running makes me a runner. The climbing abortion rate, murder rate, divorce rate, alcoholism and drug abuse rate, child and spousal abuse rate contradict that claim and prove that actions speak louder than words. It is an observable truth that the best time you will ever make on any American city freeway is on Sunday morning because there are no traffic jams getting to churches. 
For those who believe that separation of church and state is not enough, that the world would be better off with no church at all, ask yourself this question. How many hospitals, universities, orphanages, homeless and abuse shelters have been founded by the ACLU or the American Atheist Society? Is It is the inclusion of the words Catholic, Baptist, Presbyterian, Christian, and Methodist in the name of so many of these institutions that proves by actions, not just words, who really cares for the suffering of mankind and desires to make the world better. The question that people should be asking is not why does God allow tragedies, but when will we realize that no nation in the history of the world has ever separated itself from God and evolved to a better society? Of course, to answer, to, to answer, you would have to know history. Most people, it seems, prefer People magazine. Last Wednesday night, I, um, I pointed out a little statement that Paul makes in Romans chapter 5, verse 17. He uses this phrase, death reigned. Death reigned. And I, and I, and I spent a couple of minutes on trying to describe how that so adequately describes the culture in which we find ourselves. Death reigns. Why is that, ladies and gentlemen? I'll tell you why. Because we were all born lame, helpless, in need of healing. That's the first truth of this parable. The second I want you to see is, it seems that this man who was born lame is resigned to his condition. He, uh, he is set there on the, on the, the porch steps of the, of the temple, uh, and he, and he looks like he's only looking for some kind of temporary relief. He's, uh, he's a professional beggar. He's looking for alms or handouts. And, and the best he seems to hope for is to snatch some little bit of temporary relief in the midst of his misery. A little nice meal, perhaps. Maybe a few clothes to wear. Maybe that's all I can expect out of this life. And uh, what the world provides for him via its alms is nothing more than temporary relief. And the, and the real problem remains unaddressed. You know, listen, gentlemen, I, I, don't, uh, I don't deny the fact that politics and education and, and um, entertainment and philosophy and even medicine has um, has contributed to the overall plight to human suffering. But ladies and gentlemen, those are those are the things that might allow us to snatch a little bit of temporary relief. But the main issue goes unaddressed. The world um, could not cure this man's lameness. But they could toss a few bucks his way. And I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, you can ransack the libraries of the world. And apart from the book, this book and the message that it contains, you're not going to get any lasting permanent help for your ultimate problems. You can watch a few movies. You can listen to your favorite CDs. You can attend the theater. You can study literature, you can do a little drinking, and they will all quiet the longings of your heart temporarily. But when the world has given us everything it has to give us, we're still paralyzed. 
And that's the second point from this, this parable, ladies and gentlemen. After the world has given us everything it can give us, the man remains paralyzed. And then comes Peter and John, my third point. Here comes Peter and John, the, the church guys. And it seems that this lame man is somewhat confused about what he can expect from them. Because he asks from them the same thing that he asks the world. He wants to receive alms from the world and he wants to receive alms from the representatives of the church. It seems, ladies and gentlemen, and my, my, my third point is that the world is a bit confused as to what it can expect from us as the church. And never has that been more clear to me than it was this past Tuesday. When I, I, when I drive in my car, I'm listening to sermons. Uh, a sermon series right now. A five, I, I listen to sermons all the time. But when I come to the end of a sermon, you have to rewind the thing, you know. And, and in my car, I don't know how your tape player works, but in my car, when you hit the rewind button, the radio pops on. Well, Tuesday, I came to the end of uh, one of these sermons, and I hit the rewind button, and the radio pops on, and it's one of the local talk shows. Oh, gosh. And um, they were discussing the, the scandal in the Roman Catholic Church with all the sexual abuse that's gone. And a scandal indeed it is. But I wish you could have heard the comments that were being made. The, 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 the talk show host, who will remain nameless, his comments were absolutely ludicrous. But they weren't half as bad as the comments being made by the people who called in. It's, it's like they, they think that the church's role is to turn us all into good little boys. Or to be some kind of cultural center. Or maybe a place where the arts are maintained. Or maybe the place where a political agenda is set. I never will forget, ladies and gentlemen, years ago, sitting in a, in a, in a room full of a thousand Christians, and we were discussing whether or not to send a letter to Jimmy Carter, who was the president at that time, to, to tell him to remove the troops from South Korea. Well, and I, and I thought, I knew at that moment I was in the wrong place. These people were calling in and saying, well, the church is this and that. It was tragic. Because as far as they're concerned, we do a little bit of counseling. And we're a culture, cultural center of some type. And we're all doing basically little good deeds around the world. Gang, um... Peter looks at this man who asks alms from him, and he said, listen, buddy, you've got it all wrong. You've got it all wrong, because what you're looking for from me, I don't have any of. If you want gold and silver from me, you're not going to get it from me, because I don't have that. But what I do have, I want to give you. What we as the church represent is not some kind of temporary relief. We are to be physicians of the soul. The Puritans used to love to call themselves physicians of the soul. D don't, don't look to the church for something temporary, but for something lasting. The church doesn't give alms, ladies and gentlemen. It gives you a cure 
a complete cure. And I want you to know that if I stand behind this pulpit and the only thing that I offer you is some kind of strategy, some kind of technique how to, as to how to make your life a little bit more comfortable or enjoyable or, or um, successful or peaceful or sociable, then I've done nothing more than what the world offers you. That's not what we offer. And the world uh, doesn't seem to know what it is that we offer. But here's my fifth point. Do not make the mistake, ladies and gentlemen, of thinking that it's the church that offers the cure. Do you notice what Peter does here? He points them in the direction of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's my job. That's our job. Is just to get people in touch with Jesus of Nazareth. And uh, when Jesus heals, ladies and gentlemen, his cure is not temporary. It's a permanent relief. It's one that includes forgiveness and an abundant life. And then finally, my fifth point, which is my favorite. Do you notice what this guy does? I, 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 wish, I, wish, I, could, I wish I could do that little thing where you jump up and you, know, you click your heels together, you know, but I'm too fat. But that's what the guy does. His, his ankle bones and everything come together and he begins to leaping and praising and jumping and walking and just... That's what the guy does. That's in response to what he's just received from Jesus Christ. He dances, ladies and gentlemen. The man is doing a little jig. He's downright giddy. You know, that'll happen when, um, when you find forgiveness. When forgiveness comes to a soul that for years has thought he was doomed, it'll make you want to dance. Do you remember when I, 20 minutes ago, when I, I told you this first point about the man, the, the man who was born lame from his mother's womb? Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is our opportunity. We've got a world full of people born lame who can't heal themselves. And the world can only offer a temporary cure. What we offer them in Jesus Christ is the chance to dance. Christianity is is designed to put people on their feet and to tell them, commence the dance. I read you something years ago, or it was probably years ago, but the last three lines of it went something like this. Work like you don't need the money. Love like you've never been hurt. And dance like nobody's watching. There is a song that uh, I think it started out in the uh, country and western world. And, but it made the crossover. In fact, uh, the, uh, the artist sang it at the Super Bowl two years ago, I think. And um, the artist was Leanne Womack. And as I understand it, she was, she was writing this song for her daughter. And uh, it, she was kind of telling her uh, what she was going to face in life. And, and, and as you could see her looking into the crib and singing this song to her, to her newborn daughter. And, and she, you know, in her song, threw a bone to religion every now and then. And uh, she said, uh, um, give the heavens above more than a passing glance. Promise me that you'll give faith a fighting chance and on and on. But there's, there's a line in this song, and I think you know the song. It's still being played. Where she looks at her daughter and says, If you're ever given the chance 
to sit it out or dance. I hope you'll dance. And, and uh, to me, that was the sum of what she would. If you ever get the chance to sit it out or dance. Oh, how I hope you'll dance. My brother and sister in Christ, what has happened to this lame man has happened to us. Born helpless and in need of healing and the world can't heal us and Jesus has. It's time to dance. And when you get the chance to sit it out or dance, for heaven's sake, my brother and sister in Christ, it's time to dance. But if you come here today and you still haven't met this Savior, I'm telling you, after the world has given you everything it can give you, you'll still be paralyzed. And so what I'm doing today is giving you a chance. A chance to sit it out or dance. Oh, I hope. I hope you'll dance. I hope you'll come to the one whose cure is permanent. And his relief is lasting. The one who will set your heart to dancing. Our Father, I thank you for the, uh, the thrill of watching your word unfold and, and uh, of the things that it would have for us in terms of lessons and, and um, things that it would, do, would say to us in terms of our condition and our need. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that uh, if you've led people here today who have not yet met this Savior of ours, I pray that you will um, that you'll show them that here is the chance. Here is the chance they have to dance, to leap and to praise and to worship and to come out of their lameness into a life of complete healing. Father, the problem is not how much we know or how much we don't know. The problem is sin. And there's only one cure for sin. And it's found in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And I pray that everyone who gathers around this table today will be reminded of His great work for sinners and their hearts once again will be set to dancing. Father, meet us around this table in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We ask it in His name. Amen.